My good people, greetings, what is happening, what is going on, the start of a new month, a new week, that's right, we're already into April as the greatest sports month of the year is ready to kick off and here to provide you with every little detail that's going on in the sports universe is none other than yours truly, Jay Reels, the host of the Jay Reels Podcast. If this is your first time listening to what it is I have to say, thank you very much for downloading and listening to this content and I hope you come back for many, many more. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode one to now episode 60, I welcome you guys back. As we go through the landscape of everything that's happening in the world of diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, you name it, April the 1st, that's right, April Fool's Day in the year of our Lord 2019. And where we'll go, we'll start off obviously with the NCAAs, but we'll also go through the landscape of MLB as the opening weekend is in the books. Mets had a very good weekend in D.C., winning two out of three in the Yankees. Not only off to a bad start against possibly the worst team in baseball, but they lose a key member of their team, which I'll get into later on. The NBA and NHL seasons will continue, especially the NHL. This Sunday, Islanders clinch a playoff spot, which is good, but again, they need to get that home ice, and there's still a lot of work to be done between now and Sunday, including a trip to Washington to the nation's capital for a possible chance to win the division. We'll see what happens there. The NBA closes out its season next Wednesday, but the Nets hanging on for dear life to get that but you know, playoff position in the East, where right now they are seventh, but the slimmest of margins as Miami and Orlando are nipping at their heels. We'll get into that. The NFL makes a huge rule change with pass interference. I'll spend a second or two discussing that, but we'll start us off here with the madness, and now we're down to the Final Four. And I'm sure a lot of brackets, as we all know, they've been, probably been busted from last weekend and when we were on the air last Monday. But today, if you would have woke up this morning and had thought that Auburn or Texas Tech, Virginia, yeah, of course you could say that. And Michigan State, obviously, those are the linchpins of the college basketball universe. But nobody would have thought that Auburn or even Texas Tech would have been here on the stage, Minneapolis, come Saturday night to go on to see who's going to become part of the national championship, which will be a week from tonight at the U.S. Bank Stadium, home of the Minnesota Vikings. And when you look at this past weekend, now, I will say this. I'm actually recording this at 4 p.m. on Monday. This is the latest I've recorded the podcast, because you know me. Usually I want to get it in Monday morning to get it to you as you're on your commute home, especially, or maybe during your lunch hour, even as soon as that. But today, as it's the day after of me celebrating a 50th birthday, not that I'm trying to put any shamelessness or shameless plug in reference to my birthday, but because it was 50 and it was a special one, I was catching up a lot on emails and things of that nature, so I wasn't able to get to record early on. So here I am, late in the day, bringing you uh, all this information. So with that being said, I didn't watch a lot of the college basketball this weekend. Obviously, I followed it without question. But what you take uh, from this weekend is after last week when we were on the air and I said that you don't have a lot of Cinderella's, I, you got to put Oregon aside. I get there were a 12 seed, but Oregon is a team that has a pedigree when it comes to playing in the tournament. Obviously, they've been in the Final Four not too long ago. But with all the teams that were still left standing, they were very high seeds. You had a bunch of ones. Obviously, all the ones were still standing. Twos, threes. In fact, in pretty much each of the brackets. But when you look at what had transpired from Thursday to yesterday around a little bit after 7, showed the quality of college basketball that you would love to see each tournament when 
you don't have that Cinderella 13, 14, or 15 that's trying to wreak havoc, not only on the brackets, but also on the tournament. And sometimes when you get the very low seed that plays deep into the tournament, you may get the lackluster game or you may get the game that you're just going to tune out of because that team can't hang with the top dogs in the nation. And when you looked at starting on Thursday with all the teams that were left standing from the Sweet 16 on, you knew that you were going to get some quality basketball, some very good basketball, entertaining basketball, but down to the wire basketball, which is more important. And we'll get to the CBS aspect of it a little bit later because I know that they can't be happy after, especially what happened yesterday. But when you look at how these teams got to where they, to the Final Four, whether it was Auburn and their backcourt play and how impressive they were down the stretch, Kentucky didn't have an answer for them yesterday at all. And Kentucky showed that despite the fact that P.J. Washington has been hurt, you know, obviously he's not a one-man gang, a one-man team, and we know about that when it comes to teams that have a plethora of young talent, a la Duke, and we'll get to them in a minute. But when you have two guards that could play like that, that even if the one guard in Bryce Brown is being held or is being contained, then you have the other kid, Jared Harper, who's just going off. It's very tough to stop, especially when that train is on the express track. And that's what you saw yesterday in an Auburn team that for the first time in their school's history, and we all know them as a football school, they've made it to a Final Four. And kudos to them. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, you think of Auburn again, you think of 10 years ago, what was it, uh, nine years ago, Cam Newton winning a national title and them being just a, an SEC powerhouse over the years, obviously not along the likes of Alabama and LSU, et cetera, but still, you definitely see visions of Bo Jackson and obviously Cam Newton when you think of the Auburn Tigers as far as a program in college is concerned. But now here they are on the big stage, which is great for the school, which is great for, for them, and they're certainly going to be a tough out. Any one of these teams that are going to get into it, we'll, of course, break it down in a little bit. But kudos to Auburn. And then Texas Tech, I mean, what could you say about them and what they've done? Texas Tech is one of those type of teams that, you know, they want to get into a street fight. Not in a literal sense, of course. But again, they're just a physical team. They don't have a ton of scoring. They don't have a ton of talent from the you know standpoint of guys that could just light up the scoreboard or guys that are just going to completely take over games. You're certainly not going to see that when it comes to a team like Texas Tech, but at the same time, they come to play. And they scratch, claw, fight, they do whatever it takes. And think about it. They've already got four wins in the you know under their belt. They're right now on the cusp of one game, 40 minutes, 80 minutes of winning a national title. And the first thing you think of Texas Tech, of course, you're going to think football. You think of Cliff Kingsbury. You're going to think of... Michael Crabtree, you're not even thinking basketball unless you're thinking the days of Bobby Knight, which of course, the, I don't want to say the game passed him by after he left Indiana, but although he did have some successful years there, but Texas Tech certainly hasn't been that college basketball, not going to say powerhouse, because we all know that's not a basketball factory, but nevertheless, here they are making it to a Final Four, which is probably even a little bit more surprising than Auburn. Because Auburn, although they were a good team and they were ranked fifth, in their region, but nobody would have thought that Texas Tech, even with the run that they were on, because they don't have the standout player, they don't have the sexy name. You know, when you break down the rest of these games, and especially going into yesterday with Duke and Kentucky, just those two programs alone at the top in the country. 
But Texas Tech certainly fought hard. They certainly did what they had to do, and here they are. And, you know, they play ugly games. You know, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And when you look at it on a whole, I understand CBS is going to say, ugh, you know, this is not the type of matchup that we wanted to see. We definitely don't want to see a team like that where the country can't really wrap their arms around. Of course, everybody's going to know about Duke. Everybody's going to know about Kentucky. Michigan State's good and even... You know, Virginia for that matter. And we're going to get to them in a second. But when you see how a team like Texas Tech could just upset the apple cart, for the rest of the country, they're not going to be the team that everybody's going to look out for or be the team that everybody's going to watch. But when you see them play and you see how hard and how cohesive they play together as a collective unit, then you got to say to yourself, all right, well, now I understand why this team has made it all the way to this point of their college basketball season. And when you also look at Virginia, remember two weeks ago when we were talking about the tournament on a whole, Virginia was a team that after last year's embarrassment, being the first team to lose in historic fashion as a one seed to the uh, UMBD team. And now here they are, two games away from winning a national title, which was, let's face it, they knew coming into this year, they had a lot of pressure being on one seat again. And think about it. Gardner-Webb gave them a run for their money in the first half. And you're thinking in the back of your mind, oh, no, this can't happen two years in a row. I mean, it took forever to see a one seat get knocked off as it was by a 16 seed to happen two years in a row. It's, I think I have a better chance of hitting the lottery probably twice than seeing that happen in my lifetime. But now here's Virginia on this run, playing well. Almost like the forgotten number one seed. Because when you look at the, all the others, the Dukes of the world, you look at Gonzaga in the year that they had, obviously North Carolina, falling to Auburn the way they did. And Virginia, I don't want to say they're the forgotten team, but they're almost like, oh yeah, they are a one seed. And they played well the whole year. And they've actually played well in this tournament. Now again, we all know that when you get to a Final Four, it is an achievement. You know, it's not like if you go to a Super Bowl and... You lose the game, everybody forgets about you. Because, let's face it, everybody knows who the winner is and they forget the loser. But more so than the Super Bowl than anything, any other sport. But when it comes to college basketball, if you make it to a Final Four, it's almost as if if you made it to a championship game and won. I mean, think about this. I'm a huge Georgetown fan. John Thompson III actually made it to a Final Four. For what that meant, obviously didn't mean much because they lost to Ohio State. And... They haven't been back since or anywhere close to it. But the bottom line is, is that if you were to look at John Thompson III's resume, certainly it doesn't pales in comparison to his father. But he does have that on his resume. And again, these coaches here that have made it to the Final Four, they're going to have it on there forever. And to have that distinction, it certainly matters. And Virginia right now, they are two wins away as well as the other three teams that are still left standing. But Virginia right now, you'd think there would be some pressure. You would think they would look at what lies ahead and say, all right, well, good. We don't have to face Duke. We don't have to face a Kentucky team. We don't have to face any of those other number ones that probably we'd be underdog in any of those matchups. Well, guess what? They're going to have a hell of a time against an Auburn team who is on fire, as I mentioned about their backcourt just a little while ago. And they certainly can't rest on their laurels thinking that, oh, it's a five seed. This would be a pushover game and we could go ahead and go on to a title game and hopefully win it all then. Not going to happen. 
And then you look at yesterday's games. You look at Michigan State against Duke. And I understand a lot of the storyline is going to be about Duke. And especially their road here to the Elite Eight, to the regional final, and them falling short. And before we get to, as a matter of fact, we'll get to Duke in a second. Because Michigan State, you had to give them all the credit in the world. Michigan State did a phenomenal job. Obviously, Izzo was a guy that, in the very beginning of this tournament, when he got on his one player there, and a lot of people thought, oh, geez, you know, how could he berate this kid you know, on the court the way he did? And you'll get his finger in his face and show this type of emotion. I mean, what is he doing? Well, guess what? The guy's only been to 100 Final Fours. The guy won a national title in 2000, and it was a long time ago. But still, he has that on the, as we called just a couple seconds ago, on the resume. And here he is as one of the top coaches in the country with a program that certainly is dying for a championship. Magic Johnson, the pom-poms, the Spartan... Green and white out in full effect. And with the way his team performed, not only just in this tournament, but it's in the game yesterday, you kind of wonder, was it more of Izzo and his players rising to the occasion or was it more of Duke falling way short considering going back to last Sunday, the way they won against UCF and they should have lost, let's face it. And then the way Duke won against Vatek, it was almost as if they had nine lives. And you know that when you're playing the tournament games, you need some luck. Well, they got the luck there last Sunday against UCF. And even a little bit of luck against Virginia Tech there the other night. But now here it was yesterday. And at 68-66, just to cut right to it, where R.J. Barrett goes to the line and you just knew. Just think back to the game last week against UCF where Williamson was on the line there after the three-point play and he misses the free throw. And then Johnny on the spot, R.J. Barrett, Puts in the layup before UCF had the, tell you, the bounce of the ball not go their way. But that was was not to happen yesterday as the Barrett misses the first free throw. He gets the second one and then the inbounds pass with about, what was it, four and change, or three and change to go. It was inbound and then next thing you know, they just run out the clock and game is over. And I understand that the Duke fan and Everybody down there in North Carolina, Sands, Chapel Hill, right now are just drowning in their sorrows because of what could have been and what we haven't seen. And going back to the storylines, as I was about to explain earlier, Virginia was storyline number two in this tournament as far as everything that happened last year and to see how far they can go this year. Well, guess what? Now, they could be the lead storyline based on what happened last year. But you have Auburn and Texas Tech that obviously have a lot to answer to as far as storylines concerned because again Auburn's never been this deep in a tournament before and then also when you look at the 1 and 1A as I mentioned about Duke with them gone you know the what could have been Zion and what he's done and he played well yesterday you know Barrett didn't do you know Barrett did not have a big game neither did Cam Reddish for that matter and when you have the inexperience even of those three guys and, and Jones is another one even when you have those guys as highly touted as they are in Zion, as we all know, is on a rock star level. When you don't have the depth and especially you don't have that junior or senior player on that team. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, a la Chris Duhon, guys like that. Guys that are glue guys that are going to put you over the top. 
And granted that we did see that against UCF, although that made, the luck had something to do with that. And you saw that a little bit against Vatek, but it was not to be seen there yesterday. For a team that turns the ball over too much and even more so can't hit a big free throw when it matters. And when it's tournament time, we all know it's about making free throws. Because that can be the difference between winning and losing a game. Not necessarily just in the last seconds. Because there's countless games. I mean, even in the NBA, but just from the college level. How many times were the outcome, let's say, whomever wins by four or five points, and then that team that lost by five, they were 15 for 23 in the free throw line. Right, can they go 23 for 23? No, but 15 for 23 and 19 for 23 are two different stories. And that is the difference between winning and losing sometimes in these tournament games. So now, Michigan State moves on. And here we are, the Final Four there next week. Now, the good thing is, is that we could get to talk about it, the Final Four. And I'll be away next week. It's going to be tough to watch these games, as I'll explain a little bit later. But I'll certainly be attuned to it. And then, obviously, we could preview the championship game, which will come next Monday night. A little tip-off after 9 out there in Minneapolis. And CBS, I tell you, I'm sure they were sick to their stomachs knowing that they had it right there pretty much for the taking. You know, even with the Kentucky game yesterday, you know, going into overtime, you had a lot of overtime games here over the course of the weekend. You know, I know Gonzaga was a big disappointment. You know, but without going through the rest of those, CBS right now, you know that they were hands and knees praying for Duke to just somehow, some way pull out that game yesterday. And I know they're going to say no offense to Tom Izzo because... Obviously, he's a storyline unto itself, let alone the school and the way the team is played. But as we all know, the 1N and 1A storylines of this tournament was to have them there, the Final Four. And obviously, they're going to be nowhere near. So the storylines you're going to look at here... Oh, before I get to that, so the Orgrotten and the Sauvignon Blanc certainly didn't go down with the execs at CBS there last night when they see that Duke is exited stage right. And they have a Final Four where they're going to try to Deliver every storyline possible. Hey, I'm, I'm sure right now they are praying, praying for Michigan State and Virginia. Because in Auburn, Texas Tech, although that would be pretty interesting for two schools that certainly do not have a big pe- uh, basketball pedigree, but you think that game would be tooth and nail. But does the country really want to see that? No, they want to see a number one seed go up against a school that obviously has a lot of tradition and a lot of history when it comes to playing not only just in the tournament, but in a national title game. And when you look at these games next week, Auburn, Virginia, you know, what are those two guards going to do against Virginia? That's going to be it. And Virginia, with the experience that they've had from last year and the way they played this year, is going to be a big factor on their side. And as far as Michigan State and Texas Tech, that is going to be that's going to be more rugby than it's going to be more basketball. And I'm not trying to say that, that it's going to be a fist fight or a wrestling match or anything like that. That is going to be, if you remember the days of the NBA in the mid to late 90s, those Knicks-Bulls games, especially the Nick Heat games where they were 82-78 or 78-74, you're going to get that type of game between those two teams. I think the first team that gets to 50 is going to win. That's how that's going to be. I mean, I would think you're going to see Virginia and Michigan State. Auburn, I think, is the hot team. Texas Tech is, again, Texas Tech is is not a team that's going to 
bring a lot of eyeballs to the sets. Auburn can, and Auburn was out there without their best player too on top of that. And here I am mentioning the guard. So you think that he'd be healthy for that game next week in Okiki. But Texas Tech, their team, they can actually make it to a final, you know, they can make it to a national title game. Why not? So here we are now down to the final four. Everybody's bracket I know has been blown to smithereens. I had Duke, Kentucky, so you can forget about that as my final. The other two teams that were Florida State and Villanova. <sighs> nah, I just, to me, I was just being different by picking Villanova. So that's why I didn't uh, make any hay as far as after last week bragging about my bracket because they have uh, long since left this dance for the NTA tournament. And that's what you have with the college basketball. I know all the talk now is going to be about Zion. Is there any possibility, any chance, somehow, some way that some unfinished business for Zion, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish to come back to do this one more time? Uh, obviously, that sounds like a snowball's chance in hell. I can't see that happening. I think it'd be great for the sport, though, if they did. And, I mean, let's face it. It's a shame that we can't see that. And this is one of the reasons why I do not follow or even watch college basketball the way I did because could you imagine that team and everything that happened this year from the blowout against Kentucky, from the first North Carolina game with the shoe gate with Zion, him missing those few games there toward the end of the season, him coming back for the ACC tournament and just obliterating whatever was in their way. And then they get to the tournament here and they almost get ousted In the second round, they dodge another bullet there in the Sweet 16 game. And then the regional final, of course, they fall up short. And then now, could you imagine them coming back next year and what the hype would be like then? But as we all know, that is not going to happen. I would love for it to happen. And it would be something else if they were to somehow, some way, turn the clocks of time to back in the 90s when they said, you know what, hey, let's stay for another year. We know that we're capable of getting to a not, you know, not only just to a Final Four, but winning a national championship to kind of put a little stamp of approval on their careers moving forward to the NBA. But hmm, it's the NBA. And Zion right now is the biggest thing college basketball has seen in over a decade. So you would think that that party's going to end very soon. You would think sometime after the, or maybe even as early as this week, but maybe, who knows, without trying to upstage the Final Four, maybe they would hold off until after the championship game for him to announce that he's going to go pro as well as Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. So we'll see how that shakes down, obviously, in the days and possibly week to come. All right, so that's it with the college. Let's get to, uh, we'll get to the NBA in a little bit. want to get to the baseball. That's right, baseball in full effect. So glad to see baseball back. It was great to see opening day for all the pomp and circumstance, everything, the players on the foul lines there on the diamond, and then you have the American flag in the outfield. I mean, just, it's, it really is a holiday. It's an unofficial holiday for a sport. Kind of like the NFL, we have the opening Sunday, as opposed to the Thursday night. To me, the Thursday night is neither here nor there. We all know the Super Bowl winner is the team that uh, hosts or opens up the NFL season, which you're not going to have this year. In fact, because the NFL, real quick, if I might, the NFL, with the 100th anniversary of the league, the opening game that Thursday night is going to be Packers at Bears or Bears at Packers, one of the two. Uh, probably the game is going to be at Lambeau, you would think. Just like it was last year to start off on the Sunday night. That was uh, the game where Aaron Rodgers 
brought his team back down from 20 nothing. Because they're the oldest rivalry in the NFL, they're going to open the NFL season. And rightfully so, you could see that. And in the Sunday night game, it's going to be New England hosting whomever it may be. Rumor has it that it could be the Cleveland Browns because the Browns and the AFC North, they're going to play the AFC East this year where both Cleveland and Pittsburgh are going to New England. So it's quite possible that you may see the Browns there opening night up in Foxborough, which would bring ratings abound. Who would have ever thought that a Browns-Patriot game would bring all the eyeballs to the sets? So that's the rumor that's out there now. But I digress back to the baseball. And when you look at this weekend, and again, people are going to jump to conclusions over a series. You know, the Mets obviously had a very good series there in Washington. Jake picking up from where he left off last year. Scherzer was just as good, but not better, considering he gave up the home run to Cano in his first at-bat as a Met. They were able to hold on to nothing. Edwin Diaz gets the save. Away we go. Saturday, they came back being down. They had a big four-run eighth inning. They then blew the game open there in the ninth until they hung on to an 11-8 win Saturday. And then yesterday, again, another eighth inning eruption where they were down 5-2. Came back, but then Trey Turner with a second home run of the game. And the Nats salvaged the three-game series by winning 6-5. Now, I know there were talks about maybe Familiar should have been in there, but in the ninth inning, but again... That's not going to be his role. That's not his spot. And I didn't get to watch the game yesterday because in all the basketball, as I said before, I was just out and about uh, just celebrating another year of life here on this planet. As far as the Yankees are concerned, now that wasn't a pretty weekend considering the way it started off. Luke Voigt with the three-run home run to get you all excited. And it's amazing how Voigt has just come in here. And I don't know if it's because he's a product of an of a lineup that's just loaded where they'd rather pitch to him than pitch to Judge or Stanton or even Sanchez for that matter. But be that as it may, Yankees go on to a ho-hum rocking chair 7-2 victory. And then since then, Yankees didn't have a good game on Saturday. Three errors in the field certainly didn't help. Orioles had a 5-1 lead before they ended up winning 5-3. And then yesterday was another day where, you know, right off the bat, 3-0 lead. Yankees tacked on a run, but they were trailing pretty much the whole day. In a rain-delayed type game, I believe the game didn't start till after 4 p.m. here, where it started getting a little bit chilly. It was rainy here in the area up until about then. So the game didn't finish like almost 8 p.m. So the Yankees were just thankful and grateful just to get the game in, but at the same time, they come up on the short end of a 7-5 game. And the Orioles, you could have named three guys in their lineup. That's how bad they are. And remember, this team won 47 games last year, in which half the games they had Manny Machado. So now you're looking at a situation where the Yankee fans are probably starting to panic a little bit. They have the Tigers coming in this week. Well, at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Tigers aren't any better. And news came in today that Giancarlo Stanton is going to be on the 10-day IL. I got to remember to say that because it's not DL anymore. It's not the injured list. He's on there with a left bicep strain. So who knows if that's just a 10-day injury or if that's going to be a six-week injury. You know, left bicep, obviously, that's his front shoulder. Who knows what type of effect that's going to have him swinging. They recall, or I should say they call up Clint Frazier, who's going to take the place of Giancarlo while he's on the IL. And the Yankees, it's only three games. You can't get crazy. I understand you can say the sky's falling because you lose to an Oriole team, but come on. Three games of the season, let's not get crazy. 
People saying, oh my God, it's April 1st and it's a must win. Got nothing else better to do or say or whatever. So they're going to think that the sky is falling and that the uh, earth is just spinning on its axis to the point where it's just going to fall off and we're going to... It's just crazy. So that's, that's what you have there with the Yankees and the Mets here early on. Mets are going to be in Florida, Miami. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they have their home open on Thursday against the Nats. So we'll see what that happens. The other big story in baseball, Bryce Harper with his two home runs over the weekend as the Phillies sweep the Braves. I know yesterday you had Reese Hoskins getting hit by a pitch where Gabe Papler, manager, was upset. So you kind of wonder if that's going to have any lingering effect considering that the Braves and Phillies will see each other 16 times the rest of this year. So certainly keep that in your back pocket if uh, any one of the Phillies pitchers throws at Acuna or Ozzy Albies or Freddie Freeman. So just keep your uh, antenna up for that. But Harper, even after an 0-3 with two Ks on opening day, gets the two home runs. Phillies off and running, 3-0, the type of start that they were hoping for. And now they go to Washington, I believe tomorrow, not today, tomorrow and Tuesday, uh, Thursday, excuse me, can I get my dates together? Tomorrow and Wednesday, as the Phillies and Nats will meet for the first time ever since the signing by the Phillies of Bryce Harper. And more importantly, the game is going to be, or the games will be in Washington starting tomorrow. So we'll see what type of reaction. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of booze. But again, national fans, I'll call them out. I mean, what are they? There's probably like 500 of them. I understand they've been down there now 13 years. Well, this is their 14th year that they've been down in the nation's capital. But I mean, seriously, diehard Nats fan. That's it, It's funny enough, when you look at this Eastern Corridor real quick, of course, you have the Boston, Philly, New York fan. Other than maybe the Redskins, nobody cares about the any of the nation's capital teams. I understand the Capitals won a Stanley Cup last year. And for the diehard Cap fan, all right, you know, congratulations. They finally won, got over the hump, et cetera. It's about time, considering all the playoff failures that they had, especially the last decade and a half since Ovechkin's been with the team. But when you look at the Northeast, they, their fan base certainly does not get lumped up with the Boston-New York-Philly dynamic. And I understand that diehard Redskins fans, and that's a football town by far. But with the Wizards and to the Caps to some degree, and certainly with the Nationals, you know, nobody's going to be banging their heads or blowing up sports talk radio like madmen the way they do here in New York or down in Philly or up in Boston. I mean, that goes without saying. So that's what you have early on. Let me see anything else from baseball. Eh, nothing much. I mean, I'm not going to get into anything else. To me, it was about Harper. You know, Machado, I don't know how he did this weekend. But the Padres, let me see if I can pull them up real quick. But I'm sure everybody's just excited that baseball's back in the mix, that we can look forward to following a sport every day and really getting into the season. And granted that this month, as I said from the top, this is the best sports month of the year by far with the NHL and NBA playoffs about to begin. The Masters start next Thursday. You also have... The NFL draft at the end of the month. And here locally, that's going to be a big thing with the Jets and Giants drafting high. And uh, also with the baseball starting. So you have all that to shake a stick at. But uh, yeah, as far as baseball, that's pretty much what you got there. I mean, nothing pretty much else to add, if I may, when it comes to that. I mean, you only have a day game today with the Pirates and the Cardinals. I know that's always a top eight there with the Pirates winning. So a bunch of teams have their... Home openers today, or a few teams do, not a bunch, but a few do. But at the same time, a lot of these games are being played in the evening, which to me is a joke, but you know, who am I to say? 
Uh, let's turn our attention to basketball and then hockey before we uh, bid adieu here. On the NFL rule change with the pass interference, I got to throw that in the mix. As far as the NBA is concerned, here we are down to the final few games, four or five games left in the season. And here in this town, the Brooklyn Nets, I understand, again, fan base of 25, look to see if they can get into the postseason, which would be in the stock. It would be just a great achievement on their part. We all know that, said it time and time again, after the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade, they're still digging out from that. And for them to make the playoffs this year would be an achievement, considering everything that's happened with this team throughout the course of the year, losing their best player in Karis LeVert early on. The development of D'Angelo Russell becoming an all-star and blossoming into a top player in the league. You also have the lunch pail guys, whether it's the Jared Allens of the world as a rim protector, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy who could come off the bench and give you some instant offense. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, the whole list. And here they are now. When you look at the final four games of the season, or five games, I got to double check. But when this team... As I'm sure everybody wants to make the postseason. And they're looking at this from a standpoint of. This is a building block for this. Not only just for this team. But for this organization. To try to get players to come here. To see that we have. As everybody calls the quote unquote culture. I think it's important for this team to get in. Now if they go in there as an 8 seed. And they get swept in the first round by Milwaukee. Which ironically they play tonight. And they play twice here in the coming days is going to be very interesting to see because if they do play in the playoffs, how these two games will, how will they fare come the first round because of the familiarity with just playing them recently twice in the last five days because they do play Toronto coming up after the game tonight against Milwaukee at home. And for them to want to put a stamp on, not just for themselves, but for take the rest of the league notice to say that, hey, the Nets are a team that could certainly strive, could certainly be on the come up here. This is a very important week for this organization. Considering everything they've had to endure here ever since the fallout of the Pierce Garnett trade and obviously the boatload of picks that the Celtics had received by these trades. So now, here they are. Right now, as I pull up their standings and who they're going to be playing here over the course of the next week and change. The Nets are in a dogfight where Detroit's ahead of them by just a half a game, and they're ahead of the Heat by a half game, but then you also have Orlando, who's a game behind them. So when you look at it, even though they're in the seventh spot right now, and they could certainly with a win tonight, and I got to see what Detroit's playing. I believe Detroit is playing Indiana home and home. They could actually leapfrog them tonight with a win and a Detroit loss to put themselves in the sixth seed, but still have no margin for error considering who they play over the course of the coming week, and that's at, uh, they play Toronto, then they go to Milwaukee over the weekend and then play Indiana on a back-to-back. So it's Milwaukee tonight, Toronto Wednesday at home before going to Milwaukee Saturday at Indiana Sunday, and then their final game is Wednesday against the Heat, which actually could be, for all intents and purposes, a playoff game. And the Pistons right now, as I mentioned, they play Indiana tonight with a home-and-home. They go to OKC, have Charlotte, Memphis, and at the Knicks. So those are games that, let's face it, their schedule is pretty favorable. Orlando has at Toronto, the Knicks, Atlanta, and then they finish up at Boston and Charlotte. So their schedule is a little iffy and a little bit better than the Nets because the Nets out of all these teams, and I'll get to Miami because they have the worst out of it all, but 
The Nets certainly going to have their work cut out for them to make a postseason. The Heat, on the other hand, they have a home and home against Boston. They go to Minnesota and Toronto, home against Philly, and then they're at Brooklyn. So right now, even though Miami's the eighth seed, but with Orlando breathing down their backs and Orlando's schedule pretty favorable, you would think that the Heat, if they somehow someone make the postseason, they're certainly going to earn it. Unless everybody just falls apart and they somehow some way back in. So that's going to be very fascinating from that regard. Same for the West too, because Oklahoma City, who for most of the year are in the top four in the conference, are right now as an eighth seed tied at the bottom of the Western Conference as far as the seeding is concerned. And as I pull up uh, their schedule, not really their schedule, but just their final week and change here, they're tied with San Antonio for the eighth seed, but I guess by tiebreaker, San Antonio has a uh, has the seventh seed. So either one of those two teams, whether it's San Antonio or Golden State, they fold the eight seed. Guess what? Chances are they're going to play Golden State in the first round. And I'm sure that's one team that they want to avoid, considering they'd probably rather play Denver. And although Denver's had a very successful season as a two seed, but right, we haven't seen Denver perform. And they're going to have some pressure, considering they're a two seed, to see if they could go up against the old stalwart and Greg Popovich, obviously with the guys that they have on their team, the Marcus Aldridge, etc., and obviously, if it's going to be OKC, the year that Paul George has had, which is an MVP-type year, with Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams, and company, it's going to be fascinating stuff come postseason, which is two weeks from this past Saturday. So another 13 days before that starts, and everybody's going to be raring to go there. Another NBA news, which is just found out today, which I was just very surprising, and... I'm sure there's going to be more details to come, but Carter Bitt came out with this Chris Stapp's Porzingis rape charge, or we'll say sexual assault, excuse me, to be a little bit more PC about that. Here's a situation where the Nick player, who was going to be the face of the franchise, as we all know, got traded just a couple months ago to Dallas. And the Knicks knew about this because the woman that's being, that's involved, and I don't recall her name, I don't even know if her name was released, but the woman that was involved was a tenant in the same building as Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And one night, I believe it was the day, the night of his injury, when he dunked on Atentacompo and tore his ACL, there was an incident where that night, she went up to his apartment to get an autograph, and then one thing led to another, and then next thing you know, he's involved in this sexual assault. But with that comes a string of emails and even text exchanged between Porzingis and this woman, and what's coming out of it, it seems like it's an extortion deal. Because there was supposed to be, supposedly or allegedly, there was an agreement or a document that was signed by Chris Stapp saying that there was going to be some money exchange of the likes of $68,000 to pay for this woman's brother's college fund that Chris Stapp's agreed to do. But of course, when you try to bring up this document, there's nowhere to be found and nowhere to be seen. And who knows what's going to happen as far as from a justice standpoint, if anything's going to come out of this. Is it, was this just in a plot for extortion? Was uh, Who knows? I find it kind of strange on the night he gets injured that this all happens when he's torn his knee. And I'm sure he was in a hospital somewhere right after that. And who knows if he was home that night, the next day, whatever it may be. But even more so, a lot of people are thinking, oh, this is probably one of the reasons why Porzingis was traded. Because as I mentioned before, these emails that were exchanged were between the Knicks and this woman. 
And the Knicks have confirmed that based on this report that was that I read on ESPN. So this goes to the data back to October. Now, the incident took place, as I mentioned, this was February of 2018. So October, November was the time frame when these emails were exchanged and it was reported that, hey, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to report. I don't want, she didn't want to make it a big deal, but she did want to bring to the Knicks' attention that this took place. This is what happened. And that, yes, she's looking forward to this $68,000 check that Chris Dapps supposedly promised her. So obviously the Knicks know about it. This didn't come to them blindsided. And leading up to that trade, which was a shock to everybody because nobody thought Przingis was going to be traded despite the fact that he hadn't played in over a year at that time and was rehabbing. And there was a lot of talk about the coach saying that uh, he hasn't started running yet. And then Porzingis is posting on Instagram him sprinting in a track somewhere. So he had all that to do. And then the day, pretty much a day or two before the trade, he was in talking with Nick Brass for five minutes, Scott Perry and Steve Mills saying that I don't like the direction of where this team is going. And then next thing you know, he's shipped to Dallas. That story aside, I know a lot of it's going to be brought out from the Knicks or from the perspective of when this deal was made, did this situation have a lot to do with it? Now, mind you, this wasn't brought to light until now. And what may seem like an April Fool's joke, obviously it uh, (laughs) doesn't seem to be the case. But you do have to wonder whether or not that the Knicks, once they caught wind of the story and this woman and so on and so forth, and I'm sure they probably brought to Chris Stapp's attention. Now it was up to Chris Stapp's to say either, yes, I did. I do know about this woman, but these allegations are false. Or did he just brush it under the rug, not say anything, and then hope that it will all go away? Because again, whether he gets persecuted or not, it remains to be seen. It seems like the evidence is, uh, is for him, and it's against this woman, based on what I've read. But with that being said, I'm sure a lot of fans and people and the like and media, they're going to wonder, okay, well, obviously this is being brought out now. This trade took place. The Nick Brass knew about it. Of course, they have a right to say or not to say, but at the same time, was this a big part of the reason why they shipped them to Dallas? Because they just didn't want to have to deal with a PR disaster with a guy who hasn't played in over a year who is supposedly the face of the franchise. And on top of that, they knew that he was a restricted free agent this coming summer and They would have to pony up to try to keep them to save face because they know that this organization, although it's finally going in the right direction and they're doing everything that's possible to get themselves back to anything close to the glory they had in the 90s, that this would be a distraction. So who knows? There's going to be more details, more storylines. And if you're the Knicks, and I'm sure they're being approached by the media today about it, you try to come out as swift and as honest as possible because once you do that, then the story will go away. If you're going to waffle back and forth, oh, you know, we didn't really know about this woman. Oh, yeah, they said that these emails were sent to us in October. We didn't know about them until last week. No. That's the last thing they want to get into. And the Garden knows about PR disasters when you think about Isaiah Thomas and sexual assault allegations and Stephon Marbury. And I'm sure they do not want to revisit that. Granted, that was a decade and change ago, but still. Knicks are trying to get themselves back to some sort of respectability here and the last thing they need is to have a PR disaster if they mishandle this in any way shape or form so we'll see how that uh, unfolds I'm sure in the days and weeks to come and then the NHL 
The Islanders have clinched the playoff spot by beating Buffalo the other night. They have Toronto and Tavares coming back into the building one last time. Who knows if we'll see Tavares again in the postseason. And it'll be interesting. If the Islanders somehow, someway win this game and they hold Tavares pointless, if the Islanders and Maple Leafs somehow, someway meet up in the postseason, watch that be the time where Tavares just goes bonkers. You know, they'll win a six-game series and Tavares will have like 10 points, four goals, six assists. Well, they'll meet up for one last time. But the Islanders right now, they need to secure the two-seed in their division with the Penguins nipping on their heels. And their schedule's a lot tougher. Islanders have Toronto tonight, which we all know Toronto's been a very good team. Second in there. Actually, third, because the Bruins are second. So they would have to go play Toronto. Uh, They would have to go play Boston if the season ended as it was to be right now. As we all know, the season ends on Sunday. But as far as the Isles are concerned, they have Toronto, then they have Florida, and then Washington. Now, Washington, I'm not going to worry about them as far as the division is concerned because they're three points ahead of the Islanders right now. And Washington, they have a very easy schedule. I believe they have Florida, Montreal, and then the Islanders. But you have to worry about Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has a home and home against Detroit and they play the Rangers. And the Rangers have just been awful. So if you're the Islanders, just keep winning your games. you got to win tonight and win Florida. And then, hey, if you happen to lose in Washington, so be it. But I would think that they would have to get points in every one of these games, including wins. I mean, they just can't get three points and then expect to have the two seed and then they're going to play Pittsburgh. You know, you want to host that playoff series at home and hopefully get some payback for 2013 when the Islanders lost to them in six games uh, back then in the first round. So the Islanders are in pretty decent shape there. I mean, they're going to make the postseason, so that's a relief because despite the fact that they've been hovering around first place pretty much the second half of the year, You know, a lot of talk was that, hey, they could fall in as far back as a wild card. Well, obviously, they don't have to worry about that. They just need to hold serve where they're at. And if they somehow, someway win a division, even better. But if you're an Islander fan, you just got to set your sights on just getting that two seed, hosting that first round playoff series where you know it's going to be at the Coliseum and hopefully take your stab at it there. And the NHL postseason opens a week from this coming Wednesday. And yeah, playoffs. This is the time of year. I love it. I mean, how could you not? And to wrap up here, the NFL with their pass interference, and I'm sure there's probably going to be some more things coming up the pike as far as rules are concerned, especially with the overtime. But right now, pass uh, pass interference is going to be reviewed. What could you say? It was bound to happen considering what took place in the NFC Championship game, as we all know, Rams and Saints. So they're going to take a look at it in the booth. If it's less than two minutes in the half, it's uh, upstairs, automatically goes, so they could get a chance to review it. My thing is, is that they have to, and it's only going to be tested for this year. What they're going to have to do is, they can't get ticky-tack about it. It has to be conclusive evidence, as we all know, because you know there's going to be even one play. Now, the championship game aside, I mean, that was just obvious. I mean, a blind man could have seen that. But right, what's going to happen if, you know, one guy's jumping up, and then, you know, he just brushes his right arm, and then, oh, it's pass interference, but they call it, an incomplete pass. And then people are going to be outraged and there's going to be an uproar for that city or for that team. And then, oh, now we got to revisit that any type of contact. I mean, that, that it could potentially get that way. But let's see what happens. First things first. You know, I think they should have probably did that in the preseason to test it. I understand they want to do it for 2019. They have to, they had to do something. The funny thing is that if somehow, some way the Saints would have won that game, Let's say they had the ball first in overtime, we all remember, and Drew Brees would have marched down and scored a touchdown, and let's say a field goal, and then the Saints would have stopped them on defense. This would have not even been an issue. 
yeah, maybe some talk would have been brought up about it, but uh uh-uh. As we all know, it was a firestorm unlike any other that we've seen in quite some time. So sure enough, something had to be done. But no, that's fine. For 2019, they'll test it. They'll see how it goes. And there you go. I I think it's it had to be done. Lesser so, and people thinking that it's going to extend these games. Oh, it's going to now the game's going to be longer. No, they're just going to challenge it. Now it's going to be when they challenge it. I mean, if there's going to be a pass interference and it's a first and ten at the that their own let's say the giant thirty, are they going to throw a flag on that? And you know, if it was a five yard pass, it was in you know interference. They're certainly going to have to be smart about it. Obviously, if it's a third down play and they didn't call it key spot of the game or let's say in the first half they're marching down it's a two minute warning or it's past two minute warning and they're ready to go in the end zone and you get a pass interference you throw it then oh absolutely but I hope that these co- coaches are smart enough to know that alright there's some to let go and there's some that just have to you know you have to throw it so I can see it now the coach is going to have a quick trigger finger to throw the flag out there because oh we need a first down on a five yard out that the guy was you know being draped over and he didn't call it and then the coach remember you only have two challenges so, something to keep in mind. So, that's your NFL. That's pretty much everything that's happening in the sports landscape, people. Thank you very much again for downloading and listening to this uh, content. goes without saying how much I greatly appreciate you taking the time out to listen. Please spread the word to whomever and who loves sports, likes sports, getting into sports, whatever it may be. It goes without saying how much I'm uh, forever grateful and thankful for you to do that. And you can find that not only on my website, jreels.com, but also... On all the podcast the podcast platforms that are out there, whether it's on Apple, on Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, leave a rating, post a review, all that. Because again, I know I beat this in your head week in and week out since I'm an independent operation here. Not only do I host, write, edit, produce this content for you week in and week out, but also because I'm trying to get myself up on that sports podcast universe totem pole, your efforts, your participation is... I tell you, it's uh, I'll be forever indebted if you uh, go ahead and just do that. So uh, please leave a review, post a rating, give whatever stars you feel is uh, suffice. Of course, I would love five, but if you give me four, all right, I'll shut up and move on. But you get my point, people. And then not only that, if you have any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it is about this podcast, about me, you could do that on any of my social media sites, whether it's uh, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels one, just a number on Twitter. The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. And of course, the J Reels Podcast page on Facebook. You have all that to uh, take a look at and see what it is that I post week in and week out. And that's pretty much it, people. Another week in the books, another month, more sports, a lot to to, talk about here in the days and weeks to come with everything that uh, has been going on, as I said, at the top of the program. And uh, again, this is your one-stop shop. For everything that goes on in the world of sports, whether it's the diamond, whether it's the ice, the gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, j podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>